to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Anthony Pinto. Anthony is the Chief Operations Officer for Mission First Capital and the founder of Pinto Capital Investments. Mission First Capital was made for veterans by veterans, and their goal is to provide real estate opportunities to active duty and military veteran investors. He's also a submarine officer and spent three years on board the USS Albany, operating supervising a critical reactor plant, and currently he is on shore tour in Yokosuka, Japan. Welcome to the show, Anthony. We're so happy to have you on today. How are you doing? Good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on today. I'm super excited to to talk with you and uh, do this interview. I think this is the first time we're talking to somebody uh, across the seas, all the way in Japan. So that's pretty cool that we can do this nowadays. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it's something I didn't really think about too often because I have my own podcast and all of my interviews I've done so far have been from overseas. So <laughs> it's almost become commonplace for me. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy, especially with the technology and with COVID going on and everything. I think it gives us a lot of opportunities to, you know, meet people that we never would have been able to otherwise. It just, you know, being able to recognize those opportunities and and creating these opportunities for us. I think that that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) So Anthony, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you and if you can share, you know, like how you got started in real estate, that'd be great. Sure. So like you mentioned, I'm still an active duty submarine officer um, over here in Japan for another two more years. And my real estate career started, really started in 2016 when I went to my first boat, the USS Albany in Norfolk, Virginia. And I used my VA loan to purchase a house down there. And I inadvertently did a house hack with one of my roommates. And uh, he paid for half the rent and I paid for the other half. And I think I made, you know, three, four hundred dollars a month off of that. Um, Didn't really know what I was doing. It's just like, oh, I've had roommates for all through college. And then when I was going through other schooling. So it's just like, oh, just another another thing to do. And so I didn't really think any deeper into that. And so I did three years there in Norfolk on uh, the Albany. And during the later time that I was underway, I just started realizing that I didn't want to uh, spend the the next 10 to 15 years you know, in the Navy. It just it really just wasn't for me. So I started looking for other opportunities to make money or to you know build into another industry or another job. And uh, I stumbled upon real estate investing specifically for military investors and talked with a number of different guys who were actively investing while also active duty. And so met a, a number of different people and Norfolk is there's a, you know, a lot of people in the area who are military in general. So it wasn't, uh, wasn't too hard to find someone who was actively investing in real estate uh, by also military. So I uh, started going to meetups in the area, met a military veteran who was also my real estate agent. And she helped me find a new place to house hack. We bought a quad, my wife and I. Uh, when we used her VA loan, my wife is also active duty. So we used her VA loan to purchase that quad and we house half that for about a year. And that was through 2019. And uh, we also bought a triplex during that time as well with a couple other uh, Navy guys through a joint venture. And it was, it was an exciting time. And there's a lot of fun issues that we had with those properties, but it was a great learning experience overall. And during that time, I also figured out that um, I could do these small multifamilies here and there and eventually get up to, you know, 100 units or maybe 200 units myself. 
or I could just go straight for a hundred unit or 200 unit right off the bat. I found that I was spending just as much time on my four unit as it was in my one unit. And, you know, the people I talked to that were multifamily operators were saying the same things about their hundred units is like, you know, I'm spending just as much time on a hundred units as I am on my single family home. So it's like, the process is going to be the same, right? Roughly going to be the same. I mean, there's obviously a lot more zeros involved um, and a lot more time involved with a large multifamily property, but overall the time and the, and the process is going to be the same for purchasing them. So it's just like, why not? So I uh, started doing a lot more research into large multifamily and apartment buildings and started going to conferences, networking with people. And I stumbled upon this 34 unit in Kansas city, which I thought I could take down by myself. And, uh, Long story short, I didn't have any of the ingredients I needed to take down that property. I didn't have a loan guarantor, liquidity. I didn't have any capital raise for it. I wasn't even local to the area at that time. And so it's just, you know, one thing after another, I just kind of realized that this wasn't the right property for me. Um, and so we ended up uh, canceling the contract before due diligence was up. Combined with I was unprepared for it and also combined with the prep fact that the property had a lot more that needed to be done than I originally anticipated. And so I just started realizing I need to build partnerships if I'm going to be doing this and also knowing I was going to be coming here to Japan uh, in the immediate f- future at that time. So I uh, started just networking individually a lot more with people and trying to build up these partnerships in these different markets around the country and talking with people and one of the people I talked to, and we actually had him on for my one of my first interviews on the podcast, his name is Phil. And uh, once we got done with the podcast, he was like, hey, I got this deal that's, you know, at the time was 10 minutes away from me. Uh, it was a 104 unit property. And it's like, hey, do you want to come on and help capital raise for it? So I was like, sure. So he brought me in on that, raised some capital for it. We closed in March and then the ball or the dominoes just started falling after that. That was 104 unit in March, closed on 112 unit and. September and then a 92 unit here back in uh, or late October, early November. So that's been the kind of the impetus and the timeline for my career so far. And then now we are getting into the uh, the fund as well, Mission First Capital Fund. Oh, wow. So you really started off with, you know, the house hacking and then buying your triplex and the and then doing a joint venture and then really just like scaling so big <laughs> right after. Yeah. And um, so that's really great. So when you were doing the quad and the triplex, were you managing it on your own or did you have a property manager to kind of help you with that? So I was managing it to start with on my own, but then I realized that um, I didn't particularly enjoy the property management nature of doing property management. It just wasn't appealing to me. And also knowing I was going to be coming here to Japan, I wanted to have someone who was solidly in place when I came here. And so I, I started using property managers, you know, within the first couple of months of owning those properties, because it just made sense. So even though I was local, I wouldn't have the peace of mind to not have to worry about these properties, you know, in case I go underway or in case I get deployed or, you know, you never know what's going to happen in the military. You could be halfway around the country or around the world, you know, on a kind of a moment's notice. So uh, that in mind, I wanted to have the ability to have someone there watching the properties, answering the phone calls as necessary, taking care of maintenance issues when I was over here. So I was working with a property management company pretty much all through 2019 on all uh, three of my properties at that time. Oh, okay. How did you get comfortable with going overseas and handing off your property to um, somebody else? Yeah. So honestly, to time, the time with them that I spent with them, I mean, we, by the time I left for Japan, we'd been working together for you know a better part of a year. And so I knew all the people involved on the team. It was a, it was a small kind of boutique property management company. I knew everyone involved on the team. Um, like 
by text messages. We text all the time about stuff or email. So I knew them pretty well uh, to start with. And the guy who owns that, his name is Christian. He is a Navy vet as well. So we really did click there. And he's just had a lot of experience and handled a lot of the issues that we had pretty gracefully and pretty um, with a kind of an iron fist and a lot of this stuff. And it took a lot of, of worry off my back, having to deal with a lot of the issues that we had. So seeing them in action, spending a lot of time with them, it really gave me the confidence that I could go overseas, leave the properties with them and know that they were going to be taken care of, right? And not falling apart when I came back. Oh, yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And so when you went to the um, 104 unit property, and so you in the Hampton area, so then um, you raised capital for it. How did that process go? And was it the first time you were raising capital? So technically, it was the first time raising capital on that scale. I raised capital for the joint venture that we did. And by raising capital, I found the investors to come in on me with that one. But that was only 50000 that we had to raise for that. This one we were raising two and a half million total. So uh, different ball game, total total different ball game. So you know, over the past few months before that, I I had really built out a um, a large pool of investors to be able to tap from, and a lot of them were also military investors as well that were like, like, how are you doing this? Like, hey, I have this money, but I don't have a lot of time to do this. So it turned out to be a lot of investors that were kind of sitting on the sidelines waiting for deals to come up. Um, that were of a similar demographic as I was. So uh, I had a lot of those people already lined up, if you will. So when the deal came around, I was like, okay, hey, I'm going to start deploying these investors into this deal. So raised about 800000 for that first big deal that we did. I mean, it wasn't easy, but definitely the old adage that you need to dig your well before you need it was definitely true here because it's much easier to find investors and then find the deal than it is to find the deal and then suddenly try to find investors. In terms of timeline, in terms of urgency, um, there's just it makes everything a lot easier to kind of have investors spooled up for mm-hmm. an opportunity to come down the line. And so, what did you do in order to make them feel comfortable with investing with you prior to actually um, reaching out to them to invest in the property? Sure, I think one of the best things to do if you're going to start putting your name out there and trying to garner investors is providing value to investors. So one of the biggest things I did was outside of the podcast was just start documenting my journey. So uh, when we bought our quad and we bought our triplex and how that process went and, you know, the good things that came from that and the bad things that came from it, the renovations we did and the issues that we had, um, things that a lot of people don't really talk about, like the bad lessons learned that a lot of people don't talk about. Well, we were sharing those on like Facebook lives or through a blog that we had through our website. So people were, you know, seeing uh, whether they were consciously reaching out to us or not, people were seeing what we were doing and uh, especially as active duty guys doing this. So that provided a lot of great um, value to a lot of people and not only just making that, but also just sharing our journey as well. So I had a lot of people reach out to me just through that. I was like, oh, like, how is this going or how's that going? Um, and so on and so forth. And I think it's just putting your face out there really does help with a lot of people and just being genuine uh, when you're talking with people. It's just, you know, at the end of the day, investors want to invest with operators and with trusted operators. I mean, the deal could be a hundred percent return on day one, but if they don't trust the operators, it doesn't make a difference. And so knowing that you really need to build that trust before you start talking with people. And large part of that is putting your face out there, talking with people is really getting to know your investors before you actually start pitching them deals. Because the other thing is you'll start talking with investors and the deals that you have may not be the best fit for them at all. 
I mean, you may have a deal that, you know, is a 10 year term length and they're looking for something that one or two years, or you have a minimum of 250,000 when you only have guys who have 50,000. So it's really getting to understand your, your investor base. Um, and also just being a genuine, real trustworthy person. There's plenty of people out there who are just hitting, hitting the inboxes of a lot of people on Facebook and LinkedIn and just, you know, that's the first thing they tell you is like their pitch. And it's like, dude, like, I don't know the first thing about you. At least for me, it's just, it really goes to, to you know, I delete it because I just, one, most of the time it's something I don't need. And two, it's just, that's not how you build a business. So um, take the lessons learned from that and really be genuine with people, really show that you're a trustworthy person by teaching them how these things work, especially if they're brand new investors, whether they want to invest into you or not, just taking the time to teach and be open and explaining things to people really goes a long way. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. No, absolutely. I agree with that. You know, building up that trust with the investors and then having them building up that solid foundation with them is really important um, because like you mentioned, you know, you're, they're trusting their funds to you. And so no matter how good the deal is, if they don't trust you, I mean, it, it's not going to work. Also, what you said about um, it might not be a right fit with the sponsor and the investor, but then sometimes the the deal itself might not be the right fit for the investor at the same time. So mm -hmm. it's something that you got to keep in mind when you're um, talking to them and just keeping their best interests at heart. So it's great that you mentioned that. Absolutely. And so from that 104 unit, and then you had another 112 and then 92 unit closed pretty quickly. How did those deals come about? And then can you um, walk us through a little bit about that process? Sure. So our lead sponsor was the partner that brought me in on that was his name's Phil. We had a few other general partners on that deal as well through um, at that time, he was a mentor for a big apartment syndicating program, if you will. So he had a lot of students that were involved with that who um, were also looking for deals as well. So we ended up bringing a lot of, of those types of students on. So we had, you know, a handful of GPs on that deal. And one of the other general partners built out this team with a few other operators. And based off of that, he went and found this 112 unit deal in Savannah, Georgia. So he brought me in on that deal to you know, help do some asset management and capital raising side of things and uh, investor relations as well. So that's how that deal came about. He had been working on that deal even before our 104 unit deal uh, closed. So he just kind of brought me in on that deal and I helped to do what I could for that deal. And then the 92 unit was with the, my lead sponsor again, Phil, and that was a local local property and raised a half a million dollars for, for that one as well. Wow. And so what has been the hardest part so far with managing all these and scaling your business to what it is today and being on active duty? For me personally, it's trying to manage time. Being over here I'm in Japan, I'm constantly aware of the 14-hour difference between East Coast time 
the 17 hour difference between, um, between West coast time. And so I'm constantly evaluating that when I'm trying to think about, okay, what time am I going to be awake? What time am I going to be asleep? Do I want to get up early? Do I want to stay up late? Talk to people and their morning time or their evening time. So it's a constant calculus in my head. And it's one of the things that is, is particularly difficult, um, personally for me, um, outside of the active duty thing. I mean, my job is relatively, um, it takes very little time. I would say that uh, it's just a normal desk job. So I'm not doing the normal active duty thing where we we go get deployed or I'm underway or I'm in a shipyard availability. It's just, I have a lot more time available to me now. Um, so if I didn't, I think we'd be having a different conversation. I or probably wouldn't be where I am today because it would be very, in my opinion, it'd be very difficult to be doing this by while being deployed or while being underway or, or whatever else. So I would say probably one of the most challenging things for me is the time management and knowing that if, when I'm awake, other people are going to probably be asleep. And when I'm asleep, other people are probably going to be awake, especially back in the, in the States. So it's a constant calculus. Thank you. And so Anthony, um, what is your current focus right now? So, you know, over the past year in 2020, you know, we did those few syndications. And like I said, a lot of the investors that reached out to me and were on my investor list, if you will, were military investors just like me, active duty guys that um, were most, a lot of them were stationed in the Norfolk area who wanted to get into real estate investing, didn't really know how we would talk about a lot of stuff, how I got started and all of that. And, you know, they had some money here and there to throw around. And, you know, the more I realized is that um, the opportunities for military, particularly active duty investors to buy into real estate is relatively small. The syndication rules, the amount of money that it takes to get into these deals, like the large minimums, it's just, it is, um, it is not a easy thing for military investors to get into those types of deals. And even if they do have the money trying to find those deals that are open specifically to sophisticated investors, non-accredited investors is, is relatively small. The intersection between military investors and the guys who typically would have those types of deals is it's just, it doesn't really link a lot of times, um, it's just, you know, the military is not, it is not an organization that has that, has that stereotypical mindset when it comes to entrepreneurship or business or, you know, money minded. So that being said, we kind of realized that not having that opportunity for a lot of guys, we wanted to make it available to a lot of our brothers and sisters. So my partner and I started this uh, real estate investment fund with the uh, goal that we are going to be able to provide the same institution level class apartment buildings and multifamily buildings to, you know, the average military investor. And the way we did that is we did it through a regulation A plus fund option. And it gives us the ability to uh, have an unlimited amount of credited and non-accredited investors and a limited amount or the uh, a much lower minimum than typical. And it just, it gives us a lot more flexibility to bring in our brothers and sisters on these deals that they otherwise normally wouldn't have access to or even know about in the first place. So that's what we're working on right now is this uh, is this real estate investment fund. And so if someone had come across your fund and wanted to get started in it, like what would be the first steps to getting involved? And is it like a blind fund where you don't know what properties you're investing in it or are they seeing the property first before they're able to um, commit to, to some investment amount? So good question. Good question. Um, so in terms of syndications, this is different. 
and in a couple different ways. So one, a typical syndication is investing in one particular property. So you go find the property and then you pitch it to investors and then investors decide, yes or no, this property works, it doesn't work for me. Versus a fund where it's a blind pool. So you put in five grand, your five grand is going to a pool with another million dollars and that million dollars is getting deployed at the discretion of the individual managers, right? Um, and some reggae plus funds are, are funds do that differently. They may have a particular property and then people can decide to invest or not invest. Some people just do it as a blind pool. But you know, the reason we like doing it as a blind pool is it is that your investment is spread across multiple different properties and your risk is spread across multiple different properties. So you're benefiting from the collective risk that or I guess the leveraging of risk that goes across those different properties, but you're also still getting the benefits of the cash flow from those properties. And if one property goes down or has potential issues, you're still kind of buffeted from the other properties that you're diversed across in. So it gives you the opportunity to diversify within real estate, which is not a very common thing to be able to, to do because most people, like I said, that um, do syndications are doing them in a one property on and off type of fashion. The other way that this is different is is one, you know, it's a much smaller um, minimum that we're talking about here. So there's obviously a lot more people involved with this. And, and since it is dealing more with multiple properties, the experience of the fund and the, um, the benefits of the fund and why an individual would want to invest is based more on the operators rather than a particular property. So it goes much more to the operator's experience and how what their experience has been, what they've been able to do in this amount of time. You know, how many properties have they taken down? How many properties have they exited? How much money have they been able to make for their investors? Right. It becomes much more about the operator's experience where uh, in a normal syndication, it's um, I would say probably like a 70-30 split in between the actual operator's experience and the property itself. So that being said, you really do need to trust the operators that you're working with and understand, you know, what their experience is, what their background is, what type of people they are. So in terms of getting started with the fund itself, you can check out missionfirstcapital.co. That's our website. And you can see everything about Phil and I, our backgrounds, um, how the fund actually works, how it operates, what the fund options are in terms of returns and term lengths, uh, what type of properties we're going to be investing in, what our past experiences have been with the other properties. And uh, you know, generally, the whole kind of essence for the fund itself. And that's all going to be at uh, www.missionfirstcapital.co. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, Anthony. Sure. And so you've invested in, you know, your single, started with the house hacks, your quadplex, your triplex, and then um, a large multifamily portfolio at this point. And now you've started your, uh, the Mission First Capital Fund. And so what is going to be next for you, Anthony? What are you guys looking to do? So what's the fund is up and, and running. Uh, our goal for this year is to raise $30 million. And once that is raised, and we're planning on deploying it not only locally uh, within the Hampton Roads market, where my partner is still based, but also working with other veteran operators around the country. So you know, one of the biggest things that I find with a lot of new operators getting started, like veteran and military operators, is not having uh, you know, available capital. They may have the deal, they may have everything set up and the know-how, they just don't have the available capital. So we are looking to, uh, you know, not only deploy capital ourselves in these deals, but also deploy it with other operators around the country, like other veteran and military operators around the country. And so we have some guys already tapped for that to be able to deploy capital. So that's going to be kind of our next, our next step is raising our goal for the uh, fund over this next year, and then deploying the capital around the country. 
Oh, I think it's great, Anthony, that you guys are creating these opportunities for, you know, normal people to be able to invest in and giving these opportunities for them to be able to create these, um, the wealth that they're looking for and financial freedom um, down the road. And so I think it's great that you guys are creating this fund and um, creating these opportunities for them. Appreciate it. Yeah. And also, Anthony, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? That's a good question. It has very much become my life. I'll, I'll say that uh, ever since really getting started into 2018. I mean, it's been my hobby, but I guess it's been more than that. I mean, it's been my business. It's been my future that I'm going to build out, you know, and it's it's something that I constantly think about all the time and like doing the podcast and putting out content and looking at deals and, you know, building out these relationships and building up the fund. It's very much become an essence of my life and a passion, if you will. It is a passion that I found that I think you know it's going to sustain me for years to come, and it's very much going to be my next career. So I would say it's it's kind of everything to me at this point in terms of business. And if there is one thing that you wish you knew now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Wish I knew now. I would say that you got to start digging your well uh, early, and don't be afraid to talk with people. You know, one of the biggest things that. I find when I talk with new investors is that, like I said, the capital thing, but then they also, next question is, oh, I don't know anybody that has capital. Well, that's probably not true. I mean, there's plenty of people who have capital out there and you just don't know it. I mean, there's a lot of people who, you know, money is not, it's not something that people typically talk about, um, whether you're rich or whether you're poor in, unless you're very open-minded about it and deploying capital, it's not something that you're going to talk about at family gatherings or with your friends or, you know, at work, um, so you never know who has money that they're looking to deploy, who doesn't, who is looking to learn more about whatever in terms of real estate, who's not. So I would just say, don't be afraid to talk to people about what you're doing. I mean, if real estate is something that you see yourself doing in the future, then be open about it, be free about it, be as open to talk about it as possible. And what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in the real estate investing business? So I would say another old adage that business is just two things is people and processes. So it doesn't matter what your business is, as long as you have the right people who can follow the right processes, then you're going to be successful, I think, regardless. Um, I think what people, particularly in the multifamily realm, really kind of shoot themselves in the foot, particularly getting started, is thinking that they have to do everything themselves and not having any other team members on board. And that will get you um, a certain ways down the track. But at the end of the day, like you can't do every single aspect of multifamily investing by yourself particularly when you're getting started, right? I mean, you're not going to have the capital. You may not have the time. You definitely don't have the experience. So there's got to be someone else that you got to have bring on your team and doing and realizing that and thinking about that earlier and bring them on earlier will only you know benefit you at the end. Um, it's better to have a 10% of a watermelon than 100% of a grape, in my opinion. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And so are there any tools or techniques that you use to improve the efficiency of your business or your personal life? Um, I think the biggest thing has been knowing what I can and can't delegate and pushing that, I wouldn't say pushing off the work, but knowing what the best use of my time is. And for the longest time, when I started the podcast, I was doing a lot of this stuff myself and it was just very time consuming. And now I've kind of willowed that down to 10, 15 minutes a week that I'm actually spending outside of doing interviews. I'm actually spending managing, you know, the uh, virtual assistants that I have doing a lot of the other work. And I think that is true in whatever business you have. There are aspects of multifamily investing that can very much be farmed out, if you will, and can be outsourced um, from you know acquisitions to investor relations to marketing aspect. I mean, there's so many things that 
there are better people that can do that job most likely than you can. Um, I think that's one of the things that's really helped me is knowing and following through on what I could and could not delegate. No, absolutely. I think it's a valuable skill to be able to know where you can focus your time and energy and where your time is best utilized and where you can maybe leverage some other people's help to be able to take off some of the things um, that they might be better at. So you can focus on the things that you're better at. Exactly. And so, Anthony, I really appreciate having you on the show today. And again, I want to just thank you so much for your service. And we hope you get to come back home soon. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> If our listeners wanted to find out more about you and what you do, where can they go? Uh, so if you want to reach out to me directly, the, probably the best way is through Facebook. I'm on there quite a bit. Don't really check LinkedIn too often, but if you want to shoot me an email, it's anthony at missionfirstcapital.co, uh, or you can check out our website at uh, www.missionfirstcapital.co or pentocapitalinvestments.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Anthony. I really enjoyed having you on the show today and appreciate everything that you shared. Thanks. It's been a blast. Appreciate you having me on here, Eileen. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.